Welcome back to America's Talking. I'm Austin Berg. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Dr. Orfe Divungi. Orfe is a senior economist at Zillow Group and executive advisor at Quantitative Research Group. Orfe has his doctorate in economics from England's University of Southampton. He's also the co-host of Everyday Economics, a production of America's Talking Network. He's also just one of my favorite people in the world. Dr. Divungi, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Austin. Your, your intro is so kind. Uh, you're such a wonderful person. You are also one of my favorite pers- people in the whole world. All right. We will end the love fest. <laughs> Let's get into all things housing. So I love what I love doing with uh, Orfe is taking these really big questions and then throwing them at him. And he has a an amazing economics background. He has such expertise in housing and these are really complex topics. So I take my dumbest questions, my, my biggest questions, and he always gives such thoughtful answers. And the first thing I was thinking about in preparation for this conversation was in the United States, we have historically been so reliant on housing for wealth building for the middle class. It's a, it's a part of the, the country's history that is encouraged in our culture. It's encouraged in our tax structure. It's encouraged in so many ways. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, or should we? Is it? Or should we be indifferent? Look, <laughs> that's a great question. You know, I, I think of housing as a consumption good. I um, I don't really think it should be seen as an investment vehicle. Um, you, you know, if prices kept rising forever, right, especially at this pace that we saw during the pandemic, then housing would get unaffordable really quickly, which is exactly what we saw. Uh, affordability became the biggest issue in the housing market uh, by the end of 2021. It still is today because mortgage rates also have, have increased in 2022, more than double in 2022. And so uh, the goal should be for house prices to keep rising really, really, really rapidly. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, people in the market today or people who are even considering uh, buying a home should think about, you know, finding that place where they want to live, where they want to raise their kids, a place, you know, a, a place to, to, to live their own version of the American dream, uh, not a place uh, to try to uh, flip, so to speak, right, and, and make a quick return. Yeah, so that's really interesting. And when you tell people about that, that's like a very basic economic concept that you should see housing as a consumption good. That is not how... I would think like 90% of people buying houses think of that. Like you made a move recently. You were thinking about it as a consumption good. I'm going to move to a place that I love. That's beautiful. It's got green trees and all of these things. When you're talking to people like your neighbors about that, they, I'm sure people don't get that. Like no, everyone thinks about it as a, as an investment good. And it, you know, how do, and there are policies that encourage that. How do we change that thinking? So I wouldn't say everyone because my neighbors, um, you know, bought their house six years ago. Uh, it was relatively affordable six years ago. Uh, and they thought about, hey, we're going to come here because it's nice. It's five minutes down uh, away from the, the one of the best elementary schools. Our kids are going to grow up here. And, you know, the increase in house prices, I think they bought their house at roughly like $500,000, something like that. Today, their house is worth like a million bucks. Right. The increase in house prices was kind of a positive surprise for them uh, rather than, hey, we're going to do this because we're going to live there for and then sell and, and make a bunch of money. Uh, and in fact, what they did when uh, mortgage rates fell is they have just refinanced uh, and they, they locked themselves into a very low mortgage payment. 
and they plan to stay here, right? Uh, so I don't think it's everybody. Uh, but yes, I think, you know, th- that there's a lot of people who still think like that. I think it's kind of part of the uh, kind of the American uh, hustle entrepreneurial spirit, right? You know, you know, living the American dream is not necessarily just finding a beautiful house to live in. It's making a bunch of money in the process. Right? <laughs> so so I don't know if we could take that out of people. But on, on top of that, there's, like you mentioned, a lot of incentives, right? The, the tax system incentivizes home, uh, home buying, right? Uh, the, there's so much out there to incentivize this kind of behavior. The fact that we tax your, the home you live in, but not the land, right? Uh, we'll do that, right? So, uh, so in, in in any case, I don't think it's everybody, but I think the incentives are, are such that uh, people see these huge uh, price increases and and start to expect, begin to expect that you know they need to be a homeowner in order to get this huge return and uh, rise up the kind of the wealth ranks, right? Uh, and then we see, and we're seeing that, right? So, so many people that are not homeowners have been left back. They've been left behind because house prices have increased so much in this country. So speaking of that, we saw this massive pandemic boom. You know, you had a neighbor with a $500,000 home. It's doubled over six years. A lot of factors are influencing that. How do you understand that boom? And then I'm sure the most common question you get is, you know, is that ending now or how do you see that ending? Yeah. So let's kind of walk back to what caused the boom in the first place. Uh, So we, you know, we had a decade of low building, very relatively low construction in this country uh, after the great financial crisis, the, the global financial crisis, great recession. Right. So, uh, you know, house prices fell during that time. Builders demand fell. Demand for housing fell a lot. And so builders uh, who at the time took some heavy losses, you know, by the way, builders are very good at forecasting where demand's going to be, okay? So, like, you know, you look at builders, builder sentiment falling for the last year, and what this is telling you is that builders are basically saying, we don't expect there to be a lot of housing demand next year. And so builders, who are very good at forecasting housing demand, stopped building. And so for about a decade, by the way, we had a lot of people renting, right? So builders weren't completely wrong. Uh, for for a decade, we had low con- low new construction, and so when the pandemic hit, and you know uh, work from home kind of uh, boomed, right? Which by the way, it was ongoing, it was rising, but it just kind of the pandemic kind of sped it up, right? Uh, you saw a lot of people finding themselves uh, one needing more space because right, they were working from home, uh, they weren't able to go to the gym, so they put a gym in there basement, right? Uh, or the garage, right? The need for space during the pandemic, the fact that a lot of uh, millennials kind of became parents, uh, you know, got married and, you know, became parents, right? Demographic, the demographic shift. Uh, the fact that uh, interest rates fell uh, to near zero. And, uh, and then you add to that massive stimulus checks, uh, that came in the pocket of most American American families, you know, all of that is a recipe f- to spur uh, housing demand, right? So those are determinants of housing de- uh, housing prices, because 
those are factors that raise housing demand. And so you had a boom in housing demand at a time where builders were kind of caught flat-footed. COVID-19 was a shock. Builders had no idea that this boom was coming, right? And uh, and so builders were caught flat-footed. We didn't have, we, we had a massive housing unit deficit even before the pandemic, right? Because building was so, so sluggish prior to the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, this, this boom in housing demand, not enough, uh, not enough housing units to uh, to absorb all of, all of that demand, and so you have a surge in house prices. House prices surge during the pandemic, uh, and then you know inflation. But it wasn't just the price of housing that went up. Uh, we saw the price of everything, the price of goods in America, surging during the pandemic. And we get to November, I think November of 2021, and the Fed realizes that it's kind of been too late to try to tame that, that rise in prices, right? And so we, have, we, we start to see inflation levels that hadn't been seen in over 40 years. And, uh, and so finally, the Fed reacts. And, they, and what they do is they react by raising the, the, their key policy rate by record, right, at a record pace. And so mortgage rates surge. And so you end up with right, mortgage rates surging, uh, and, and, you know, the cost of the, the monthly mortgage payment on the home, you know, in some places increasing 50, 60 percent in a very in, in a two to three month period of time. And so that actually just kind of like stopped, uh, you know, housing market activity. We saw residential construct residential activity uh, investment fall 26, 30 percent in 2022. Uh, and so residential investment includes uh you know, uh, new construction, but also uh, activity. Um, I'm, I'm blanking here. Uh, it also includes uh, brokers, broker fees, right? And so we saw this. We saw this kind of housing activity kind of tumble in 2022. Sales fell uh, uh, by 30, 40 percent in some places. Uh, so demand pulled back significantly, and and so that's kind of where we are today. Right with this massive pullback in demand, uh, and, and but you know I, I say to most people I think I've been somewhat optimistic uh, on you know on social media on the on my podcast you know that there's a lot of buyers kind of waiting in the wings they they were just waiting for affordability to improve and, and and we're seeing that already you know when mortgage rates started to fall a little bit you know we got some positive inflation news. Uh, you know, the, for the past six months, inflation has been coming down. And as inflation news, uh, inflation improves, mortgage rates begin to fall. And so uh, and what we see is consumer sentiment, home buyer sentiment improving. And so there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think the housing market will get to, uh, you know, housing activity, market activity is going to start to come to return to somewhat normal levels. Uh we're not sure when, but uh, but we may be close to the bottom. So that's a really helpful macro picture, I think, that everybody should be thinking about. But when it comes to the individual level of making a decision of buying or selling homes, I mean, you don't have to talk about, you don't need to tell us about things like, you know, make sure there's uh, not water damage in the basement, right? But what are some of the most important things economically that you think home buyers don't think about when they're buying a home? And then the same thing on the on the reverse end on the seller side. What are those most important things that you think of 
but the the average buyer seller is not thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. You look, the sticker price doesn't matter as much as your monthly payment, right? And like, you know, you if you you have a high sticker price, but and it, you of course for the down, it matters somewhat for the down payment. You know, you put a big down payment, you know, down. Uh, your monthly payment is really what's going to to uh, to hurt, right? If if your monthly payment is too high, it doesn't fit quite within your bills, or you end up having some sort of income shock, right? Your income goes down or you lose your job temporarily, right? That's when it hurts. And so I say to people, you know, I, I tell buyers, I think you have to make sure you do your homework and know what you can afford. And affordability uh, in, in our world is like, we look at your income and we say, look, what's affordable is uh, a unit where your monthly mortgage payment is not going is going to be a one third or less of your monthly income, right? Uh, and housing affordability, unfortunately, because mortgage rates increase so much, has fallen to an all time low in 2022. Uh, we expect mortgage rates will stabilize, will ease a little bit, and they've been easing somewhat, and so affordability should stabilize in 2023. But it's so important for buyers to know what they can afford. Part of that story is also um, not just mortgage rates, but, you know, property taxes. You know, property taxes are part of that, you know, those costs, those hidden costs, if you will. And so you want to make sure that you're buying in a place where you can actually afford the mortgage payment, but you can also afford the insurance and, and property taxes that will come with that house, uh, that house that you're, you're buying. And then what about on the seller side? Someone's selling their house. What things that just don't really important things that aren't aren't coming to the fore? Look, our research shows that seventy percent of buyers of, of sellers end up buying again. So sellers are essentially buyers, right? And so, like you know, I hear a lot of reporters are like, "Well, what's good for sellers? What's good for buyers?" You know, affordability falling to an all time low was as bad for buyers as it was for sellers. You know, because a lot of these sellers, even if you're a seller and you're selling your house and you make quite a lot of money on your house uh, and you decide you're going to buy somewhere else, you know, you're either, you know, one, you got to find a unit that's cheaper, right? Which means you might have to move to a different uh, area of the country, right? Or, uh, you know, if you're lucky and you have, you've made a ton of money, you might put down a bigger down payment in that new place, right? Uh, that cheaper area, right? And keep your monthly payment low. Uh, some it's very rare, except for sellers who own their house outright, for a seller to just go and take you know a million bucks and find another unit somewhere else that's going to be cheaper, where they're not going to bar- be bothered borrowing. Right? Uh, there's you know you know of course cash buyers have increased during the pandemic, so it's not as rare as I, as I might be uh, claiming it is. Uh, but I think a lot of a lot of sellers still worry about where they're going to go and buy again, uh, and that's part of their decision. So, uh, so what what I say very often is what's good for buyers is good for sellers. Sellers also have to do their homework. Uh, right now, in the current environment, a lot of sellers were locked into these very low mortgage rates, right? So, uh, you know, if you had a mortgage at you know two and a half percent or three uh, percent, you're not going to want to trade that three percent mortgage rate. For today's six, uh, today's six point one percent mortgage rate, so a lot of sellers are kind of locked into these uh, into these low rates, and and it shows in the data because new listings, the number of units coming on the market, has actually gone down a lot 
you know, 40% relative to a year ago across the country. And so a lot of sellers are, are kind of sitting back. They're like, oh, we're going to wait it out, wait out to see what this housing market, how this housing market pans out before coming back on the market. If you're really desperate to sell, though, uh, I tell, which, which, by the way, is I don't think we have a lot of desperate sellers out there nowadays. Uh, I think there's a cool stat that I, I, I lean on a lot from realtors that says basically today we have only 1% of sellers of realtors are working with a distressed seller compared to 49% uh, at the onset of the global financial crisis wow. right, with the previous housing bust. So basically, we're not in a situation where we're facing this, A, you know, uh, sh- you know sh- housing crash, uh, you know, a lot of YouTubers and pundits like to think, like to claim that the current I- environment is is dire, but it's not, right? We're in a completely different environment. Um, that you know, how homeowners today have better credit, are locked into low mortgage payments. They're not distressed, and so, uh, so, so that's just you know something I want to throw out there. But if you're a seller and you're motivated to sell, I think you should work with an agent because agents really know what your home is worth. They've seen all the homes in the area, how much they sold for. A lot of sellers are like stuck on. My neighbor sold his house last year for fifty thousand dollars more. And the market has changed in 2022. Uh, home buying demand pulled back because of, of affordability challenges. And so you have to be willing to drop the price a little bit, right? Uh, and uh, and that's, still, that's not a bad thing because, you look, most sellers are still up 40, 50% relative to before the pandemic. Uh, so, you know. So don't be don't greedy. greedy. That's right. Don't yeah, be yeah. greedy. Don't be greedy. <laughs> you know? It's the seller's lesson. <laughs> exactly. So if speaking, you want to sell, you, yeah. you can sell. Speaking of of greed, we see in a lot of major cities across the country a renewed call for rent control in the advent of these rising prices, right? You have these rapacious landlords. They're killing us on rent. We need to have a law that says this is what the the, the price of housing is allowed to be. Um, It seems like one of the worst economic ideas that just won't die. But I'm wondering from your perspective, what is obviously that has some harm to landlords? Maybe not. I mean, how does that hurt low income and working class people? How does rent control hurt those folks? Uh, look, look, first of all, I don't think we need rent control because, look, rents are also coming down. Rents tend to follow house prices. And so, yeah, we had a surge in house prices. We had a surge in rents. House prices are falling now. Uh, uh, you know, at, at a slow pace, uh, but rents are also coming down, right? So, uh, in a, I was just looking at this today in the Seattle metro area, for example, uh, rents peaked, I, I think, at seventeen uh, percent in February. Rent growth year over year at seventeen percent in February, and year over year, rents are now down to something like three percent year over year. Oh, so sorry, four four point nine percent year over year in Seattle. So rents have rents went up. And rents are coming down, right? We didn't need any rent control measures to do that. You know, your landlord is basically faced with a very simple decision. When house prices are increasing, he can either put his house on the market and sell it and make a big bunch of money, right? And which means that there's one less rental unit available for you, which, of course, if everybody does that, that means there's going to be fewer rental units available for everyone, which will hurt 
rents, right? Bring rent prices up, right? Over the long run. Uh, or your landlord can raise the rent and keep you housed, right? Uh, and so uh, if you start to control rents, what tends to happen, uh, what research shows is basically you end up with fewer ha- rental units in the long run, which actually ends up hurting low-income family renters uh, over the long haul. And so it's, you know, it's just terrible, terrible policy. And luckily, it's a terrible policy that, you know, some politicians might bring up occasionally, but that hasn't really uh, had any success uh, anywhere across the country. I think, I think even in uh, Minneapolis, when they recently adopted rent control measures, they're, re- they're regretting, they're regretting them, right? And so, uh, so yeah, I, I don't think it's something that, that will stick. Uh, it, it comes and goes, rents go up, you know, all of a sudden you have a little bit of outrage about rents, uh, but then rents come, to, come, rents are coming back down. And, and so, uh, you know, I think people will be okay. You know, one, my, my biggest issue is people who own a ton of units and hold them off the market. They, they, we have a record number of vacant units held off the market. They're not, they're neither for rent or for sale. And that contributes to our housing affordability problem, housing affordability challenges. And so, you know, giving these people an incentive to make those units available on the market for rent or for sale is what policymakers should be focusing on. Or removing uh, the, whatever subsidy that they get is my expectation because why I, I just don't understand why you would ever that that's another sort of common thing among the same people talking about rent control is you know look you have these New York City skyscrapers that nobody's in right so we should just give those right. all away but that's th- those are that way the only reason those are that way is because for some reason those people can't make money renting or selling that building and I would think that is from that that is only a tax incentive thing that's existing, right? It's about removing that rather than saying, giving them a bunch of money to put them on the market. That's right. right. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be about tax incentives. Uh, so I think that's one problem that we're facing today. The second problem is uh, state and local governments restricting uh, building. Supply, yeah. So restricting supply, right? New construction. You know, there was an interesting study that, I, that the uh, National Association of Home Builders put out uh, not too long ago that showed that basically 24% of the price of a single family unit could be traced back to uh, building federal, state, and local building regulations. Wow. 24%. That's a huge number, right? The number was like 40 something percent for multifamily units, which is even crazier. And so, um, and so doing something about uh, building constraints, building restrictions uh, and, you know, encouraging kind of like, uh, you know, transforming zoning, zoning reforms uh, uh, is going to be key to for long term uh, to address long term affordability challenges. So I don't think I've ever asked you this question this way, but I wanted to close with it. You talked at the beginning about homeownership being part of this American dream. What is the American? I mean, you're an immigrant to this country. What does that mean to you and what does that mean to your family? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I think ultimately everybody wants the same thing. You want uh, you want a safe place uh, for you and your family. You want good schools, right? So no low crime, good schools, 
Uh, and that, that's what people are after. You know, uh, I have had the privilege, uh, and I, I didn't, we didn't mention that in my intro, but the privilege to be on the board of a, a place called a, an organization, nonprofit called housing connector, which, uh, basically tries to get landlords, right. Incentivize landlords to make more units available for people who are at risk for at risk renters, people who, you know, their rent went up. And they're facing, you know, higher rents and they may not be able to keep up uh, and they may be they may end up falling behind on their rent payment. Right. And then Housing Connector steps in as a renter last resort to support those families, uh, because we know that once people go into homelessness, it's really, really difficult to, to climb back out. Uh, and all of these families want the same things for the for them and their kids. You know how. You know, housing is a safe thing. You know, it's it's about safety. Uh, it's about the future. You know, most families uh, in this country uh, got, uh, you know, multi-generational wealth. And we talked about that uh, investment. But multi-generational wealth came from first having a house, right? Having a house. Without a house, you can't get a job, right? So I think a lot of people get it backwards. They think, hey, if we give people a job, they're going to be able to have a house, it's it. Now, I think without a house, you can't get a job, right? You don't have an address, right? And you can't you can't go out there and get a job, and you can't generate an income, and you can't take care of your family, and right? And so, uh, housing is a basic thing, you know. And so, it's a it's it's what everybody in this country wants. It's what you know, whether whether you're an immigrant or somebody uh, who grew up here, was born here. I think everybody just needs a house. Uh, and then, uh, and then opportunity usually starts from there, from having house. Right. And so that's why I care a lot about housing. I focus on housing. Most of my work is on housing and how do we give more people access to housing should be, uh, something that, uh, as a country, we focus on, uh, one, one other thing I want to say is that, look, housing affordability challenges are keeping people away from the most productive cities in this country, right? It, it, it used to, be, it, it, and I mean, it's a good thing that we have work from home and that more and more people are able to, to work from anywhere. But, uh, but there's really interesting research that showed that in the past, you know, because housing was so expensive in a very productive city, uh, it would kind of, uh, it would cost the U.S. economy because the, you know, productive workers, you know, couldn't, make themselves, make their way to these high cost, high rent areas. Uh, and so, uh, again, housing, I, I think housing is a, is a serious issue. Housing affordability is a serious issue that uh, we should try to address as a country. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and if we can do that, uh, then we'll be better off, uh, not only in the short term, right? We're looking at inflation being a big issue, but also over the long term. So if you found what Orfe had to say interesting during this episode, which I'm sure everybody did because he's a brilliant man, you can go look at his LinkedIn. I highly suggest following him there. You just type in his name, Orfe, O-R-P-H-E, Zillow on Google. It'll pop up. Follow him there. Orfe, thank you so much for taking time. Thanks for talking. My pleasure, Austin. Anytime. <laughs>